All right, today I'm joined with um, Deanna Witter. Um, she is the Chief Revenue Officer for the Houston Dynamo Dash, and she has an extensive background in the sports industry, um, along with the NBA. Um, and she is the host of her own podcast, Women Blazers, which I highly recommend um, if you're interested in the sports industry. Um, do you want to give yourself a quick intro, Deanna? Sure. Um, like Aaron said, Deanna Witter. Chief Revenue Officer for the Houston Dynamo and Dash and BBA Stadium. Um, I am in my 15th season um, in the industry. I got in just out of college. And so uh, it's been a, been a great and fun career and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I just wanted to start out with um, asking you about how like um, your podcast is going, um, yeah. why you did it, what motivated you and like um, what your goal is with it. It's good. It used to like my husband. He was like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Anytime. Why are you starting a podcast? Um, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing for me is growing up in the industry. I mean, it was very clear. There's just not a lot of women. Um, well, it is perceived that there's not a lot of women in this industry. And when you're in a specific team or maybe entity in sports, you might be one of two, three women. And if you're in certain departments, you might be the only woman in that department. And so when you think about an organization, you feel siloed in your individual teams within a team. And then when you are brought together, you're, you, you even feel small thinking about the greater scale of being a woman at a sports team or entity. Um, and for me now, after about 15 seasons, like I said, um, I've really been lucky and blessed to be exposed to a lot of amazing women um, and men, you know, across the industry. And I'll have to say, like, I've been inspired and motivated through the stories of other women. Um, Gretchen Shear, um, who's the CRO for the Houston Rockets, I'll never forget, you know, being a, um, and, and I, she's in one of my upcoming episodes, but I remember being um, a director of group sales with the Pacers and going to a league meeting, and she was the only vice president woman in the NBA at the time. Now there's, there's women, you know, there's definitely women in like HR positions and uh, community relations positions, which are very, very traditional for women in our industry, but the non-traditional roles that women were taking, um, that's what was really interesting to me. And Gretchen was in that position and she was just standing up and raising her hand and, you know, being very, this like, like everybody else. So she didn't see herself any other way. And I was so like, yeah, like that's how I should be. I remember, Kind of going up to her and just talking to her for a second, being very open and cool. And she's like, yeah, let me know if you have anything. I'm like, thank you. And then um, later on, you know, she was a mother of twins. I had twins. And so she, I mean, so it was like the perfect scenario. So I call her like, all right, how the hell are you doing this? Um, and she was somebody I just kind of like looked toward and um, she had made this path like, yeah, you can do it all if you really want it. And it's all about wanting it and then just doing it. And so she really helped me inspire me to do that. And another episode you'll hear where I have an interview with a woman named Sarah Daniel, who I eventually work with um, in the NBA league office at Timbo. Um, but she was a director of group sales when I was a group sales rep and she was with the Pistons. Um, she was somebody I looked up to um, in that role. And so I was lucky to be exposed to some of these women. But once you're in it and you start to look around, it's like, wow, there's all these women doing these incredible things. Um, and nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows about them. Nobody knows their story. Um, like I was able to reach out to um, and vice versa. And now where I am today in my career, you can imagine um, I get, gosh, I probably get five or six notes a week of young women who are asking, even men, men and women both. So it's not just women um, who are asking me like, hey, will you jump on a call with me? I just want to learn about your career path. I'm looking for advice. Or I just wanted to like walk through my situation. And I always say yes. <clears throat> and, it, and it's got to a point I'm thinking, like, I need to do something in this space. Like there, there's a way for me to kind of expose and elevate the profiles of the women in the industry who are doing some incredible things, as well as inspire others to the journeys of others. And so I started to think through it a little bit and um, I landed on this concept. And I'll be honest, like I, I'm a big reader and I just started to really kind of transition to audiobooks a lot more because of just the time issue. Yeah. And you know, it's easy to do audiobooks. And since moving to Houston this year, um, I've really got into podcasts. And so once I started to listen to podcasts on my way um, in and out of my hour commutes uh, to and from work, um, I was like, gosh, maybe this is the platform. Maybe this is where I do it. If I'm going to start something, um, I, can, I can definitely reach a broader audience in, in this format. So I, um, 
over Christmas break, we had a two hour, sorry, a two week break during Christmas. And my husband and I decided to do a 3,600 mile family road trip, like around the country. It was insane. That's awesome. Yeah. In the car, I just took that time to really research um, what it would take to build it, do it, launch it, you know, sort of, I, you know, creating my concepts of who I would interview and what the name could be. And, and uh, I got some great advice from um, my future brother-in-law um, to check out Anchor as, as the platform. So um, I, I had it pretty much figured out and then I, I shelved it. <laughs> I just like, I just shelved it after the holiday break. I mean, because we had to get into our season. I was very, as you can right, imagine, right, yeah. busy with that. So um, now with the environment that we're in today, I felt like um, there was this opportunity to kind of launch it. And um, I mentioned in my first episode, if you listen to it, um, I, I mentioned that I was like scrolling through Instagram and there's this Instagram meme that said, uh, don't be afraid to suck at something new. I was like, yeah. that's probably what's holding me back more than time. Cause I'm a person that doesn't allow time to be an excuse. And so, um, I was like, that, that's it. Like I generally don't proceed unless I have extreme confidence and I don't know the hell I'm doing. So, um, so I thought that I just need to, I just need to push through and, and launch it. So it's not perfect, but it, it's definitely been a, a fun a fun passion project of mine. And the response has been phenomenal as you, as you asked, like, how is it going? Um, I wasn't expecting the amount of feedback that I received, the amount of listeners that we have on each of the, the first two episodes that are out right now. Um, I'm, I'm having as many interviews as I can right now. So I'm already interviewed people through, I think, July and I'm booked through September. Um, and awesome. so I'm just trying to knock them out during this kind of time down and I'll edit as I go, but it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun, um, reconnecting with some of my colleagues and meeting new people around the industry through the process. That's really cool. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, I definitely have a similar story. Um, got into podcasting just by listening to them mm-hmm. and, um, I always wanted to do it, but I never like really pushed myself to do it. Um, the so same thing over over Christmas break, um, I was like, why not? You know, like, I don't really have much to do. Let's Yeah, let's that's do an it. illusion. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so I finally pushed myself to do it. Um, and I love, I love talking to people. I love talking to just learning about their life story and whatever they have to offer. Um, so it gave me an excuse to like, hey, like, can we talk? Because I have this <laughs> podcast. Like, it's not like, oh, can we just talk just to talk? Like, I have this podcast, so here's my excuse. Let's talk. Um, talking with purpose. Yes, exactly. Talking with purpose. Um, so that's awesome. Um, and I definitely, I feel like some people do do it with the goal of um, making money in mind, but that wasn't a factor at all for me. It's more of, as you said, like a passion project, a hobby that I uh, really enjoy doing. Yeah, I don't see it ever being monetized in any way. Um, but yeah, it, it was it's all solely purposed on like just making an impact, making a difference in our industry and hopefully with others. That's awesome. Okay, so let's jump into um, more. I'm interested in possibly going into the sports industry um, as a career. Um, so I just want to learn as much as I can about the different career paths that I could take and like what's different about each one. Um, so walk me through kind of, um, I guess, your career path and like where you started out. Yeah, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is just kind of being in tune to like what you love, you know? I think it, I think it's so important that you make your passion your purpose. Um, I know that's really hard for some people. I, generally, when I talk to individuals who are kind of trying to discover their path, they're like, I want to work in sports, but I don't know what that means, and I, I, which I completely respect um, because it's not really exposed to all the different paths and different positions that you can have in a team. But a sports team is like any business. It is a, it is a very normal, like in the behind the scenes, it is very much like any business. They have an accounting team, you know, we have a PR team, a, you know, a, a public relations team, a community relations team. We have an HR department. Um, you know, we have a sales department, a service department. Um, so all of the things that any other, you know, product led or service led team or business would have um, the coolest part about it is that it's, it's all around the product of sport and experiences, um, which makes it unique. So I think anyone who is interested in sports and any specific like business entity, um, or skill could, could take this path or get into the, get into the industry. Um, so I, I think that's one, um, for, for me personally, I think mine goes back to when I was younger. I, I knew I wanted to work in sports when I was like 
12 and I've told the story a million times, but you know, I was lucky enough to go. Um, my mom had helped um, through a friend, get me and my best friend um, an opportunity to sit courtside at a Pistons game when I was a kid. And that changed my world <laughs> in a way that I never thought it would. Um, and so I was sitting there courtside and um, at the scores table specifically. So you like felt like you were working. Oh, that's cool. Like even had this like other layer of cool. And my, like, I grew up extremely poor, single, you know, single mother um, situation. So my mom definitely pulled a lot of strings for this experience for, for me. And um, I remember just sitting there and the game was going on, but what I was really focused on, it was like, there was all these people in suits just like walking around and you're like, wow, I don't know what those people do, but I want to do that. And yeah. that was like where the planted seed was. And they could have done a number of things. And um, so, you know, I proceeded on through high, you know, through high school with that kind of notion, knowing that I had to go to college at some point, you know, go to college to get a job somewhere in the industry. Um, I was a first generation college student, so I didn't navigate into college. Um, I thought I'd go to college for um, athletics. I was a, a big basketball player. Um, we were terrible. Our team couldn't win a game. Uh, but I was so obsessed and in love with basketball. I would I would have killed myself to try to get in um, to play on a team. And then um, soccer was my other sport. And we were great at soccer. And I loved soccer. And soccer was more fun. I wasn't so emotionally obsessed with soccer as I was with basketball. Um, and so I had a couple opportunities to play soccer in college that I ultimately turned down for an academic scholarship at Central Michigan. Um, and so I went to Central, um, at first thinking that I would probably, um, go athletic training. Um, I had never been injured, but I knew that the athletic trainer was on the bench, part of the team. And I just thought that was such a, a unique, uh, position to be in, um, to always feel like I was a part of the, the team still. And so I did, um, like a job shadow that first semester and it was, it was terrible. <laughs> I hated it. And, uh, I hated it mostly because I felt like it was torture, you know, to sit here and watch these women. I, I purposely um, watched the soccer team, the girls soccer team. I went and shouted that athletic trainer. And um, it was absolute torture to watch these girls play a sport that I would have done anything to play. And people complaining about ankles and fingers hurting. And you're just like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I would do anything to be out there. Um, and I don't know if I could have lived in that kind of torture. So I went back and I started thinking about the people walking around in suits at that Pistons game. And um, I thought, gosh, what do, what do those people do? Like, I should, I should discover that. And I got, you know, right to my computer and started researching um, Pistons. And they had um, job opportunities in the very bottom. If you scroll really at the very bottom of their website, they had job opportunities. So I clicked on it and um, they were promoting a career fair that was going to happen that February, which had been, you know, at the end of that semester. So the next semester, I thought, yeah, it's like 30 bucks. You get a ticket to the game, you go to the, you go to the career fair. So I went out there as a freshman and I just went around to each of the sports teams uh, tables and told them I was a freshman. I wasn't looking for a job. I knew I wasn't eligible for a position, but I just wanted to learn. Um, tell me about the jobs that are available. And of course, everybody at those tables are ticket salespeople because that's what it is. Yeah. And um, they were very much telling me and sharing with me the passion behind what they do, why it was important. Like you get to connect fans with the experiences of coming to a games and you get to be the forefront of getting people to come out and providing them with those experiences. And I thought, wow, that sounds incredible. I want to, I want to do that. So I made that my focus and I, I kept, and they gave me some really great advice. Like, um, go be a server go be a bartender, get used to talking to people face to face and creating these like quick relationships. Could you make a friend in an hour, you know, as, as their bartender or their server and, and so I, I, I took their advice and I did that and they started to recommend the sales positions and anything that would allow me to get on the phone was going to be another opportunity. So my internship I took was also a very much a um, inside sales-esque, you know, 100, 125 calls a day kind of internship to prepare myself um, for the opportunity. And so that's ultimately what it did. Um, but I knew that I was taking that sales path and that was the path I wanted to be on when I was a freshman in college. Would you say that... Um the vast majority of people have to take that sales path first to get into the sports industry? I, I would say, no, I wouldn't say that's the case. I mean, I think your internship is going to be big. And so if you're somebody who's looking to get into PR, CR, or account, like any of these other areas in the business, I, I think it's a, you're looking at internships as your first step. And then going in there, I think the biggest challenge and why you hear often that people say get into sales is because we're the only department or only area of the business that are truly recruiting and hiring straight up college. We're actually looking for young and hungry individuals um, that want to 
really develop their sales skills. Uh, and some teams are hiring upward to 20 students, 30 students a year, a year or a semester. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's a decent amount of opportunities to get your foot in the door. The hard part is if you take the sales path and it's not a path that you're interested in, you could, you could fail immediately and never get beyond that because it would reflect poorly on your resume that you were there for what, four or five months and it didn't work out or you left. What does that say about you and your perseverance and your determination? You know, um, I, I have seen people go into sales and obviously proceed in going to other areas. Um, but there's a sense of respect and understanding at the end of the day, everybody should understand the sales aspect of it. Why the connection to fans, why we do what we do and we do it all for them. And so you learn that foundation and understanding of a sports team by going through the sales process. And if, if that's what you're going in to learn in that first year, then great, you know, but you have to give it your all in that first year. You have to give it your all in that first or two years, whatever, whatever path you're on, but that inside sales program, whatever the program is, most of them are a year. That's why I say that. Um, you've got to give it your all because it, it's really going to set the tone of the future. I, I personally think. Okay. Um, so another thing is, um, so you talk about your love for basketball and I know you worked with the NBA. So what did you do with the NBA? When I was at the league office? Yes. Yeah. So um, I was in a division within the league office. It's called um, Team Marketing Business Operations. Um, the acronym is TEAMBO. Um, and TEAMBO is about 40 to 50 individuals. It's like it almost serves as an internal marketing firm um, in the league office. There's about I think there's upward to a thousand employees in the New York office. And it's crazy. Uh, I think there's like four or five, you know, um, uh, levels um, in departments or within the, within the league office uh, building. But, and so you only interact with your 40 to 50 people because it's so big. Um, but my position there was, uh, was a director and my, my role was basically like an account manager and we would travel out to, to teams um, I spent a lot of time with W and, and G League teams, and I spent some time with some NBA teams, but mostly W and G League, where I would consult those teams on best practices and ways to generate um, ticket sales and revenue um, through, you know, officer, obviously through the efforts of ticket sales, um, sponsorships, and uh, marketing efforts. And so that was a very unique position um, and very different from the team, the team role. But the, the, but the opportunity to, to get to travel to a team and get to know them um, and everybody on their team at, at deep levels and help them and help the leadership team kind of coordinate and organize uh, plans, strategies, and executions um, to allow themselves to um, be successful. And it was, it, was a, it was a phenomenal experience. Does the MLS have anything like that where they have their own organization and they kind of send out people to these other MLS teams? So the MLS, um, they obviously they have a league office and we have a, a, like a ticketing contact. Um, there's a ticketing lead, there's a sponsorship lead, marketing lead, um, but the, it's not as big as the NBA is. I mean, from a, from a global perspective either. Um, so no, there isn't a, a, an AM or account manager that's, that's assigned to each of the teams like an NBA. I think the NBA model is extremely unique. Um, and I honestly don't think any of the other leagues have what the NBA has in that regard. Um, it's probably one of the most special things that they have. And I think a lot of leagues are trying to recreate a Timbo-esque team. Um, I think it's hard to justify it maybe financially sometimes, um, but the impact is and the success of it is, is, is clear. So um, you're the chief revenue officer for the Houston Dynamo Dash and BBVA Stadium. So what is your role that you play for the Dash and Dynamo Yes, my, my responsibility from a business perspective is that I create all strategy and executions of those strategy to generate revenue for the club um, and for all those three entities. Um, the general manager at the stadium um, has a majority of the sharehold of gen uh, revenue generation of coming in and bringing in additional events, um, but we work in partnership from a, like a sales perspective of um, tickets and, and strategy against that. Um, but from a Dash and Dynamo perspective, and those two revenue streams, the, the two largest revenue streams that we have are ticket sales and corporate partnerships. So I oversee um, those two teams. There's about, I think, 45, 48, 45 to 48 people um, that report to me indirectly. Um, indirectly. Um, and so 
it's it's majority of our time is is looking at the strategies and looking ahead and then executing those strategies within the time frame that we need to do you um study here i see do you work in the um the same um at georgia brown convention center yeah so our offices yeah it's really unique so when they built the bv stadium um it was built um on a budget <laughs> so there wasn't offices that were built um for the business staff or the technical staff so the technical team um is out at the houston sports park um so coaching and te technical side the um stadium team stadium operations team are all at the stadium and the business team including myself our chief marketing officer katie um scallon and um rc uh, sorry our president uh, john walker are all at georgia around um, so it's a very unique setup so we walk like two blocks every time we need to go to the stadium so it's been really fun to you have an 11 a.m. meeting at the at the convention center, and then you have a 12 at the stadium. You have to quickly walk <laughs> two blocks in the heat to get to the stadium. Um, but yeah, we have our own our own space, and we take over two floors and inside the section. You've been in our offices, right? Right. I went. Yeah, I was in the fourth floor, and that was kind of just where I chilled. Uh, they told me there was a fifth floor. I never got to see it, um, but it was cool, like just being in the convention center like with no one else there just like being able to just it's so weird yeah it's been fun like you have um every given day or any week we go in there's like some other random convention that we get to kind of like walk through or be a part of in some you know unique way but it's been it's been it's just the first time for me that i've been with a team where we're not in the stadium or in the arena um and it actually is it works out just fine it's just um it is unique and it, it creates a really fun different environment for us in the sense of just like visual optics. Um, but yeah, the office is, is really, really well done. I thought um, the team prior to, to me getting there had put together a, a really nice environment for the team to, to succeed in. And um, just after the, when I first got there, it was really interesting because um, you'd said the fifth floor, it's like, I think it's floor three technically and 2.5 is what we call it. Okay. Um, so you probably spent some time in 2.5 where the ticket sales team is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my office was on three when I got there and it was myself and the corporate partnership team were together on three and all the ticket sellers were on 2.5 and um, I hated the separation and I'm a big thing like I want to be in the mix I want to I want my team together because I think I mean sales very much is the transference of energy so it's so important that you're able to create that sales service environment and create that culture of one um, and so after I pushed and um, luckily got it, got it through, but when we came back from Christmas, we had my office move downstairs and all of the, um, uh, all of the corporate partnership team um, moved downstairs as well. So now we're all together um, and have been since uh, the holiday break. So it's been a huge difference and I think it has made a big impact from an environmental perspective. Okay, when you say corporate partnership, that is different than group sales. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so when you talk about ticket sales, um, ticket sales is broken up. Um, ticket sales and service is broken up into a number of departments. So you have um, individuals who are responsible for new business development. So selling season tickets or season ticket memberships um, is more what we what we sell. Um, then we have a service team that's responsible for servicing the account. So once a seller sells a season ticket package, um, that individual is more of a of, of a seller. He's not a he or she is not a, a usually in tune with the service aspects of the of the role, and we need them to be going out and, and and getting new business or new members. And so that individual then passes the account over to a service person, and that service person um, is responsible for the relationship um, aspect of the with between us and the member. And so there's a one to one relationship there. Um, those individuals usually have about 200 accounts um, each, 200 and 250. When I was at the Cavs, they had 450 to 500 accounts because of the number of members we had, but we had a big service team as well because we had so many members. Um, and so those individuals responsible for making sure they receive all their benefits and again, the communication and execution of those things. And they're the friendly face you get to see when you come to the stadium um, with your account. We also have a group sales team. Um, the group sales team is responsible for new business as well as service so they service and sell their accounts um, a group is defined as um, 10 or more tickets and those individuals are generally coming out generally as a as low as a 10 person social outing to a 500 to a thousand ticket group event or specialty um, and i actually came up in group sales so um, groups has a very special place in my heart um, from the from a perspective, but the group sales team is very much like if you wanted to get into 
um, events sales or become an event planner, group sales is definitely um, a great path for you because um, you get to create, sell, execute, service, and you get to see what your creation is from soup to nuts, um, which has been real fun. And then you get to do it again and again and hopefully grow it. Um, and then we have a, um, a premium sales team. And the premium sales team is responsible for all of our premium hospitality spaces and products. So specifically suites, um, our Audi Sports Club, um, VIP seats, and then our um, field seats as well. So generally, um, our suites obviously is, is a suite. There's like 30, there's 33 suites in the stadium um, that hold 14. Well, I think it's 18, but your suite comes with 14 tickets. And they're usually obviously food service and everything involved with your suite experience. Um, and then our two hospitality areas um, are all inclusive this year. So we did a huge transition there. So they're responsible for those accounts and those experiences. Um, and then we also have a insight sales team, um, which we launched this year and brought back to the Dynamo. Um, and so that's a 10 person team. And these are entry level individuals that are coming out of college that are training and learning and developing into salespeople. So once they get through their one year program, um, we hope to place them in one of those teams um, or we'll help them get a job somewhere else if it makes sense. Um, or they usually determine it's not for them. So there's always a different way and sense that that goes. So that's, that's ticket sales. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody in that group. I think that's everybody. Um, and then on the corporate partnership side, um, corporate partnerships is responsible for working um, in partnership with um, the business community to advertise and using the Dynamo or the Dash as a marketing platform to reach um, and connect with um, new consumers um, or with their existing consumers from a brand product perspective. Um, and so we're, we're working with the business community in that perspective. Um, and this, this is a this connection is not just a local connection, like on the ticket side, this is a global connection. So we're, we're engaging and discussing with brands all across the globe about using the Dynamo as a platform to grow their brand, their business, their consumers, um, and be at the forefront, kind of like stake their flag in Houston. Um, and so that team is divided up into two, into two teams. You have a partnership um, sales team uh, who actually go out and make those connections engagements um, to, to close partnership business. And then on the partnership marketing side, once something's sold, it goes over to the marketing team and the, the partnership marketing team is responsible for the execution of the agreed upon assets and activations that we've agreed upon in the sales process um, to execute. So generally signage, advertising, all the things you see visually at a game, um, those, are, those are all sold and, and accountable um, to that team. And often, uh, a lot of times when you look at the path, sales individuals will go up the path and as they're going up, they'll make a, a path decision. Do you want to go sell at a high level like corporate partnerships at some point or do you want to go leadership? And usually those are the two um, paths you'll start to see people take um, as you're looking at your career. Okay. Um, so, so how long have you been with the Houston Dynamo Dash? I, I just celebrated my one year anniversary in February. Oh, okay. okay. And you, you said that um, you brought inside sales back the dash so did they not have it before no i so i believe they had it in maybe 17 or 18 my understanding is and i'm pretty i i believe this is what i remember being told when i first got there um they had an inside sales team um it just it dissolved or started to dissolve like the end of the year harvey happened mm. um, and then there was a, a break there for a little bit. And then just looking at the budget perspective, they decided to hire more account like sellers instead of using that budget to bring in the new inside sales team. And then the inside sales manager at the time had left. They had, they had kind of given the role to somebody else um, in a dual role. So it wasn't his main focus, but it was never approved for him to hire anybody. Um, they were kind of like on a hiring freeze for some reason at that point. Um, and so obviously things transitioned, new president, now me, um, new CMO, you know, we have to relook at the business from a strategy perspective and, and look to see what we need from a staffing in a, in a standpoint. And for me, when I look at it, um, an inside sales team is so important because you're, you're developing future salespeople and you've got to have a strong bench. If somebody were to leave on the team, whether it be group sales service, premium, you know, seasons, like you're going to want to have that next person ready to go. Um, so we're looking at always developing people up. And in addition to that, they're obviously selling. So you're, you're, um, you're hoping that they're um, bringing in the, the ratio that you need them to bring in to, 
um, justify the investment in an entry-level sales team. So we, we looked at the model and it, it made sense for us to, to bring it back. So we, did you play a hand in um, getting JJ Castillo on the, on the team? Yeah, so we, we approved the um, the position. Um, you know, I can't take I can't take credit in bringing JJ in specifically. Um, I just can take credit on, on getting the the position approved to, to hire an inside sales manager, which was not in our budget originally. So, um, Jacob Hanselman, my new vice president of ticket sales, I brought Jacob in. I think he started in June um, of this year, so I was able to get Jacob stolen from the Colorado Rapids um, and have him join our club, and then um, he was. He was um, given the, the green light to go ahead and move forward with um, hiring uh, Matt Schroll that we got from the Philadelphia Union as our new director of ticket sales, as well as then hiring JJ. Um, and JJ and Jacob had known each other, I believe, from um, their time at the Chicago Fire. So it's always good to know people. Yeah, uh, they're, they're all cool guys. Um, they're great. They're great guys. They are great. So you said, um, you just said the CMO. What, what is a CMO? I've never heard that before. Yes, CMO is uh, the chief marketing officer. Okay. Um, so the mar the chief marketing officer is responsible for all of our, our brand, um, mostly the, the brand aspect of our team. And so brand, community relations, um, pu public relations, player relations. Um, so she's, she's really responsible for um, the, the who we are process of the business. So um, I sell who we are and she gets to define who we are, which is kind of fun. So we work very much in collaboration with each other, because um, marketing and sales go so much hand in hand. Um, but yeah, so she oversees the other areas of the business that have nothing to do with revenue generation. Um, we always joke like, I'm, I bring the money in and then she gets to spend it. There's <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. um, CFO so, counts it. <laughs> so where were you at before um, Before I came to Houston, um, I came here from um, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so I was with the Cavs for five years, um, four seasons. I started there in May of um, 2014. And I'd gone there from the NBA league office. And so um, the opportunity to go to the Cavs was, was one um, uniquely, perfectly aligned with where I was in my life. And so um, when I was at the league office, um, going into the league office, I actually found out I was pregnant with my, my twins, um, which made that experience even more unique than it needed to be. Um, and so, uh, it, it, I love the job. There was nothing wrong with it. But as you can imagine, at at a point when you're when you have twins that are now past one years old, um, it got really challenging. And so when I got the call um, from the Cavs, um, the individual who hired me, Brad Sims, he had worked at the NBA League office. We had known each other, um, and he called me about the opportunity and interviewed me. And when I got the job, it, it was a no-brainer. I mean, Brad is extremely intelligent, very well-known um, executive um, in the industry. And he's now the CEO of NYCFC, so he's also an MLS as well now. Um, but the opportunity to work with him and just learn from him was was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. Um, in addition to that, working in the NBA, there's a unique opportunity where you get to see behind the scenes of every team. Um, you get to see the good, the bad. And I think one thing I identified in my experience at the league office is that a, a culture, like the business culture, is such an important aspect um, to the success of a team and, you know, uh, uh, as well as like maybe the happiness of the people who work there and love what they do. And the Cavs very much had, had a, a phenomenal culture that, that really came down from Dan Gilbert, the owner, then to Len Kamrowski and then down to the leadership team beyond that. And so, um, so for me, it, it seemed just like a perfect fit for me to join the team with such a great culture. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, being a mother of twins, it was, it was probably time for me to stopped traveling. Um, and it really worked out because my twins were about almost a year and a half at that point. And um, it, was, it was starting to really stress me out to, to feel like I was missing some very big milestones in their life. And so um, it was good. And then you got to think I'm from Michigan. So I was only a, a nice little drive up to see family um, during that time too. So it was, it was a perfect situation um, to make that decision to go there. And um, the, the funny thing is, is when I went there, um, they were coming off one of the worst seasons they had ever had. Um, they were just terrible. They had four years after LeBron left. I mean, for the next four years, they were just terrible. Um, and they were struggling, you know, but the business side always was very good. I mean, they always had great sales leaders. Um, they had a great strategy. And, and I think it goes back to the culture. And so for me, I was like, I wanted to be a part of the, the kind of bring the Cavs back. And they were talking about bringing, you know, spending some money. They had a high um, salary 
a, you know, some salary money to use. And so um, they were in the position to probably make some big moves and hopefully get back to the playoffs. And that was the goal, just get back to the playoffs. It's been a while. And so um, I was like, yeah, I would love to be a part of that. So I get there and I think it was like 30 weeks. It was end of May. Um, we were in, we had the draft lottery and um, we moved up and we didn't even host a party. We, I mean, we were, we didn't, we had no expectations of having anything happen. We were, you know, we didn't want to celebrate or do any event against the draft lottery because we didn't want to be in the lottery. And um, when I'm watching it at home, my husband was working on our, we'd bought the house, but it wasn't finished. He was working on the house. I was at our apartment with the twins. And all of a sudden I'm watching this draft lottery and David Griffin is up there and he moves up. I think, I can't remember the number we were, but we moves up to the first pick. And we're all emailing and calling each other. I get the kids. I, I run. I, we go into the office. I was in the office like with my twins. And it's a funny story. But we're all in the office like on the phones and getting crazy um, for moving up to the first pick. And that was really like the start of the craziness. And um, as you know, they resigned you know, Kyrie for a long-term deal. Um, LeBron made his announcement to come back on uh, July 11th. Um, that that year, um, we did the trade with the first pick to bring in Kevin Love. I mean, the domino effect of that was just insane. And and what led on to be one of the most incredible four years of a career um, that I couldn't have scripted or wrote in any better way. But um, the experiences were just un, unimaginable and just an amazing experience to be able to sell a team that was um, just at the top of their game. Um, so the focus really changes on how to connect and engage with people. It's all about personalization and get engaged, but it was not about bringing them in. It's like, okay, they're in, how do we help take them from potential bandwagon fans to like falling in love with the Cavs, not just with LeBron or certain players. Uh, what does that look like? And that personalization to make this, this long lasting relationship with these, this fan base. And the other side of it from a business aspect, you kind of have a different thought of, okay, how do you maximize it? There's only, 20,000 seats in the stadium and the expectations of, of raising and increasing revenue is, is so significant because you've got to capture that light in the bottle because it won't last forever in any situation. Your team's going to go up and down and hopefully when you go down, it doesn't go all the way down. You kind of like get to go back up again. Um, and so you have to plan for those things. And so you, you kind of think about that along the way, but um, it was, it was uh, quite amazing, but you get to a point with any situation, I think is one, I think for me to come to Houston, there's a couple different things there. You know, I was ready uh, to make that next step. Um, I, it was funny because I had uh, baby number three, well, that last year at the Cavs. Um, 2017, I had my daughter. And so when you go on a maternity leave, I, I definitely give up, you know, some responsibility to somebody in the office to take on, like, the responsibility of my job. So when I came back, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I've done it for four years. I want, I'm ready to do the next thing, you know? And um, luckily I was able to do some more things at a little higher level. And um, it really made me hungry for more. And it was unfortunate when, when the opportunity wasn't there for me to, to kind of grab, you know, I think it was important for me to start to just be open to opportunities if they were presented. And um, luckily for me, um, John Walker, who left the Memphis Grizzlies to join the Dynamo as the, as the, as the president um, was able to catch wind that, I was somebody that might be a good fit for him. So he reached out to me and we uh, had a great conversation. I felt immediately connected to, to him and his passion, his mission of why he came to Houston. I wanted to join him in those efforts to help not just grow the dynamo and the dash here in the Houston market, but also help make an impact on the league itself and in this, in this nice path the league is on um, of just crazy growth. So it's fun to be a part of that. That's awesome. What a time to be with the Cavs. Um, yeah. So your, your twins, are they identical, fraternal? <laughs> they're, um, they're fraternal. They're boy-girl. Um, and they look nothing alike. I mean, <laughs> it is, so my daughter looks like me, and my son looks like my And it's so strange because um, so I'm mixed, and um, I'm half black, half white. So my daughter looks like me, and my son looks like um, he's just, like, completely pale, blonde hair. You're like, no, like, how are these, one, how are they my kids? But two, like, they don't look like they would even be related in any scenario. So they're, they're real fun. And then the third one is another, like, just bizarre mix. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny. Well, I, have, I have twin brothers. Um, they're identical twins, so they look very much alike. Um, no. Are they older or younger than you? They're younger. So the, right now they are both seven. Okay. Yep. So my twins are seven. So you, you know my pain. Yeah. They, they, they play <laughs> off, they feed off each other and good and bad. Feed off yeah. good and bad. Yeah. Good, yeah. good and bad. Um, that's right. 
Yeah. So, um, you came to Houston. Um, so that's another thing that I wanted to talk about was, um, so in the sports industry, I have this perception that um, there's going to be a lot of movement um, moving around. Um, how do you balance, balance family time, work time? What does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, it's it, I, we get the work-life balance question all the time. I, it's, this is one of those industries, especially if you're the team, um, it, probably anywhere, agency, you know, entity, league. Um, this isn't this isn't a, a traditional job or career path you would take if you're looking for a normal nine to five situation. This is very much a lifestyle, and so your your work and your personal your professional and your personal life are very much intertwined, um, and they're one. And that's the that's really the approach. So I really don't see it as a balancing situation. It's just more in the sense of like how do I live my life, and um, you know I I would say. To kind of give you a perspective of a of a day with me, it it would you know, I wake up, um, I, I wake up and I, I get ready for work. Um, my husband gets up. Now, mind you, my husband stays home with our kids, and so my husband's um, he has he's a registered nurse. Um, he has a bachelor's of nursing from University of Michigan, um, and he was so so great, <laughs> my husband to to sacrifice his career when we found out we were having twins, and I was taking the NBA league office job just with the travel, it just made sense. And we evaluated it. Um, and it just didn't make sense for him to go back to work. Cause when I got to the Cavs, we thought he would go back to work. We explored Cleveland clinic for him to go work. And when LeBron came, he, that completely just flipped our world upside down in a way and demanded so much more of my time professionally, um, that it really put us in a situation where it made sense for him to continue to stay home. And then obviously now in this role, which is again, more dem demanding in time because of the I've expanded now my responsibilities. Um, he continues to stay home. So um, I, I think this might be his life for a while since we have number three. So, um, and he's, and he now accepts it and he's awesome with it. Um, but so for me, I wake up, you know, we get, I get ready. He gets the kids ready and, and up. Um, I generally do my daughter's hair because that's really hard for him. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, I go to, I go off to work and, you know, he, he handles the kids stuff. Um, I'm at work all day, as you can imagine. My day is just filled with meetings um, in my role. There's just a lot of, um, I would say, um, consulting, discussing, strategizing that happens throughout um, a time frame. And I'm at the office. I, I'm at the office like 8.45, 9 o'clock, depending on when traffic allows me to get there. Um, and I leave at some point 6.30 to 7 p.m. And so by the time I get home, you know, my commute's about, 40 minutes on a good day. So let's say I get home at 7.45. Um, my kids go to bed at 8.30. So I get home, dinner's usually already done for the kids. Um, and so at that point, I'm either going into play mode real fast and I, I don't change. I never change out of my clothes. I'm usually in my work clothes until I go to bed, um, which is weird, but I just don't want to waste that moment I get with my children. And so, um, so I, I'm generally with the kids from there. My husband then goes off and runs because he needs his break. Um, and I, we do baths and, you know, whatever else. And if it's a late dinner night, I might do the dinner that night. Um, I put them to bed and then, um, I generally spend some time just like, you know, discussing the day with my husband. We do like a, a breakdown of what happened in our days. Um, and then what is it? I mean, it's probably nine o'clock at this point. Um, I'm then probably thinking about food for myself and himself and either we generally don't eat at the same time. He's probably already ate. We rarely eat together, um, if at all. And then um, I usually jump back on my computer because I've been in meetings so much all day. I don't have time to respond to emails. I don't have time to um, do the things that we talk about in those meetings that I want to then execute or plan against. So I usually use that time to jump on my computer. And um, I think at first it bothered my husband, but now he just accepts it. But we will literally binge watch or watch TV together. And I'm the kind of person that I can have I can focus on multiple things at once. And so I'll be working while we're watching something. Um, he'll generally go to bed and I will stay up. And um, I usually go to bed somewhere between 1.30 and 2.30 in the morning. And then we repeat. And um, but that's how I function. Like it's not, because if I had, let's say if I had a moment where I didn't have a lot of things going on, I'm the kind of person that like this podcast, like I will, I will literally fill space because I don't, I just don't find it. I don't know. I just, from a productive perspective, I, I just like to fill it. So if I have a moment, that's when I start reading articles or listening to podcasts or reading a book or 
or researching something that I'm, you know, I'm curious about. Um, and we'll go from there and it just repeats it, but, but it's a, it's a very busy lifestyle in general. Um, and I think when, when you think about the kid aspect and the balance, like if my kids have something at school, I leave, I, I carve it out in my schedule, no different than a meeting and I will leave and I'll go do the kid thing and I get to their games and their practices now that they're starting to explore in sports. And I don't miss those things, you know, at yeah. all. Make sure that I'm there for those because they they just get scheduled in like 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 a meeting would at, at the office because it all is intertwined um, at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there a lot of movement like in moving to different cities in the sports industry? Very much. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's interesting because I guess how I've always explained it is um, just like an athlete on the court or the field, um, we're athletes in the industry. And so you got to you got to think about each of the individual professionals in this industry. We have skill sets, experiences, um, energy, attitude, personalities, like all of the things that make um, the stats of an of an athlete. We have similar stats that are read about us. And so one team might need me in their position, and my role is no longer needed, or maybe my profile is no. no what I bring to that team is no longer needed, or I feel like I need to move on. I, I decide my own stuff. Like I'm ready to be a free agent, you know? Um, and so you start to move around so that you find the best fit for yourself. And the fit can be based on so many different things. You know, I think it could be positions and responsibilities. It could just be culturally um, in general. And so I think it's important for the sense of growth and opportunity to grow um, as, as individuals. Um, sometimes a move is the best best situation you can be in. And I think the openness to move has allowed me personally to grow um, so quickly in my, in my, in, um, in my career path. I mean, I'm i I'm considered a young executive, you know, in this, in the situation, especially as a woman, I'm extremely young executive, but um, I don't know. It's really hard for me to kind of tap into that because I, I just know that I'm doing what everybody else is doing to get there. Um, I've, I've just been, you know, blessed to be in situations where I've had leaders that allow me to take on more, um, and kind of own things where I get to learn and grow and fail and learn and repeat um, to the point where it's put me in the position to, to be sought out or to have a good network um, so that I'm, I'm considered for these roles in other markets. So you've only been in Houston for a year, but how do you like it? I oh my gosh, I love it. I was just telling you before we started recording, you know, I'm from Michigan and it's literally, was it April 17th and it's snowing. Yeah. My, my family has like sending me pictures of four inches of snow. Um, and it's interesting too, you know, most people I had known who had worked and lived in Houston, a lot of them have stayed and now being here a year, I can see why. I mean, it's just like such a great place to, to live and to raise a family. And it's a, it's a big city. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's the fourth largest market in the country. Um, I think it's creeping on thir third largest um, and it's the most diverse city. So from, from the sense of how big it is, but yet it's, it has a very sense of that community, small town, small city feel, um, which I'm used to. Um, so it doesn't, it's, it doesn't feel as big as it is. Um, and then I just absolutely love the diversity. I, I personally have never lived anywhere where I, I'd never, like me being different, like me being you know, a person of color, like has ever been a thing. Um, this is the first place where I don't even feel that, that kind of challenge or, um, difference. It, it's a really beautiful place in that regard. And then um, um, the weather, like I said, the weather is just phenomenal. It, a lot of people complain about the heat, <laughs> complain about the traffic and the traffic is the traffic. I mean, that's not, I, you know, this yeah. is time for me to have quiet time. So I'm okay with it. And then um, I think um, the weather, yeah, it gets hot, but man, you can't shovel heat. Like you can't, <laughs> heat will not like make your car stuck in your garage, you know, um, and freeze your doors or something. So, um, I'll take it all day, every day. Yeah. It's a, it's a big city, but it's spread out. Um, so you get more, you can divide it up in smaller areas and make it your own little, um, town. Yeah, neighborhoods and yeah. suburbs. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a good place in that regard. Um, so do you see this being kind of like one of your last stops in your career path? I don't know if there's ever a last stop. I mean, I think um, 
in every place I've ever been, completely honest, I've never been somewhere where my my thought is I'm going to be here for so many years and then leave. I think I think one time I felt that way, and that was with the NBA league office, um, knowing only because it was 100% travel and I just had the twins. And I knew going into the league, and I was very boisterous about it, that I was a team person. Um, I saw myself going to the league, making an impact, learning as much as I could. And what I was going to learn was going to go back. I wanted to take back to a team, which is what I ultimately did with the Cavs. Um, but other than that, when I get, when I go somewhere, um, my goal is to grow with that team, stay with that team, develop with that team. And my vision is never like what's next. Um, it might be next, like what am I growing as a, I would guess in a sense of responsibility, but never, never to leave market. And so, um, I think, you know, those things just happen. Um, but yeah, I hope to be here. I hope to be here for a while. Um, I'd love to raise my kids here as long as I can. And, and hopefully the opportunity is presented from John and the ownership group. Last question. Um, you talked about, you've, you work in the NBA and the NBA is obviously um, way bigger than the MLS and um, worldwide well-known. Um, have you, is there growth in the MLS right now? Is there, is it growing? Is it a growing industry? Is it getting bigger and more popular? Oh gosh. Yeah, I think, I think the growth opportunity, I think that was one of the things that really attracted me is, you know, I felt like in the NBA, we're always pushing to innovate. We're always pushing to grow bigger, better. Um, and the, the amount of growth opportunities, I mean, you're, you're moving the needle, you know, just like these small notches because they're so at the, at the top where the MLS, there's some gap there. And so you, you have so much opportunity of growth that they're growing so quickly. New teams are coming into market. Um, we'll have 30 teams by what, 2022 or 2023. And so um, new teams are popping up all the time, which are going to create, you know, obviously large front offices and, and have to build out a team of 150 to 250 people, depending on what they want to bring in house and what they want to outsource. But um, there's definitely career opportunities around the MLS, um, significant career opportunities. And I think there's a lot of individuals. I mean, the league is only 25 years old. Um, our team is 15 years old. We're, we're celebrating our season this year and, and the league is celebrating the 25th season. Um, and so there's a lot of individuals that have been with teams for a while that I think are going to start to even transition out, um, or transition to other teams as they look to make those um, next steps in their career too. So I think there's a lot of growth, um, opportunities across the league. Um, and there's so much um, that the league is capturing right now. So I think it's a, I think it's one of the, if you're going to get a part of something new, like this is the place to do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest, um, I don't think I would steer any way, anyone away from any specific opportunity in the MLS um, at this point. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this with me. Um, also, Listeners, um, Women Blazers on Anchor FM and um, Spotify, right? Yeah, Apple Podcast. Yeah, listen in. It's it's gonna um, great conversations with some incredible women around the industry, and hopefully through the conversations, we can inspire people to keep pushing through. Yeah. So if, um, if you enjoyed this talk with Diana, go check her out. I'm sure you'll enjoy her episodes. Um, I'll let you go now. Um, hopefully, we'll get to meet in person sometime yes. soon. Yes. Again. Um, um, thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Yeah. Okay.